This is Terror House Radio with Matt Forney and Brighton Proctor. Yeah, welcome to the Terror House Radio episode number 71. I'm Matt Forney, your charming and loquacious host, the founder and editor chief of Terror House Press. With me, as always, is my co host and producer, the world's only comedian, Brighton Proctor. Hey, buddy. What's going on? I'm doing, I'm not doing great. Um, mm. Where's this? Where's the. Uh, where is this? Anyway, um, no, nah, I just forgot. Streamyard must have changed the interface because I was trying to find the little setup here for the three of us, but uh, it wasn't in the usual spot. Anyway, our guest for this program is T.J. Martinell, author, journalist, and uh, most importantly for the uh, purposes of this interview, the author of The Legend of Ferenia, The Twilight Kingdom, which will be out Friday from Terror House Press. T.J., welcome back to the show. Matt, it's great to be back on. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great to have you here. I think let's let's uh, let's launch right into it. Um, I've had you on the show um, back in back in December. Uh, Brian couldn't make it then, but um, we re- released your book, The Pilgrim's Digress, which, by the way, all of you can go buy right now, which you should. Um, could you just give us an overview of um, the uh, the Legend of Ferenia? It's a uh, it's a significantly different from the uh, the Pilgrim's Digress, which you described as a uh, a post dystopian novel. This is a, this is a fantasy novel. Could you just kind of give us an overview of the book? Yeah. So it is absolutely the complete opposite of the Pilgrim's Digress, which is a very sort of, I'd not say depressing book, but it, it tackles a lot of kind of dark themes. That's really relevant to what's going on in America and the West today. The Legend of Frenya, I would summarize as the Legend of Zelda novel that should have been written, but nobody else bothered to write. Um, until I decided to sit down and and work on it, it's um, kind of a uh, a condensed and I would almost describe it I, nothing against Tolkien, but it's a very anti-Tolkien fantasy novel where everything that Tolkien did I I'm not doing in this book. There's not a lot of world building. There's not many different diverse races. There's just one people, and it really gets to the point of something. I don't spend an entire page describing the scenery or a tree, um, or the battlefield. Get <laughs> right into it. And there's not a lot of just there, there's no songs or poems or or whatever. It's it's a pretty fast paced novel. So it's not like say you know what is it? A Song of Ice and Fire, which by the way I, I'm not a fan of. But yeah, fantasy novels, and <clears throat> this may not be the case. I, just when I was growing up, going to the bookstore, I would look at fantasy novels, and they'd be these thousand page tomes, and I'm thinking, who? I, I'm sure that there are people who read those books, but I just thought. That that's why one of the reasons I never wrote fantasy for a long time is because I just wasn't interested in spending hours of my time trying to come up with all these different exotic names for all these different races and essentially doing what everybody's been trying to do ever since Lord of the Rings came out, which is they're trying to do the exact same thing he did. The problem is, is that you're, you're, we're not medieval scholars and we don't speak old English. And so don't and he, he wasn't really writing a fantasy novel, in my opinion. He was he was writing a mythology most people should just stick to fantasy and keep it pretty basic, especially with the uh, readership today. They don't have time to read a thousand page book. They, they, they're they just not going to do that. And especially one that's slow paced. So that's why in this book, it's very fast paced. There's not a lot of pay. There's not a lot of content where there's not action going on. I got a question though. Um, if it's not a really long book, then how will everybody know that it's really good? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
mean, I that's the way I judge books is I'm like, well, that must be a really good book. Look at how long it is. That's yeah. why his favorite book is Infinite Jest. Oh, oh I yeah. Thought be, I thought it'd be War and Peace or Les Mis. Well, well, Les Mis has got all those cool songs in it. And it's like, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, yeah, Victor, Hugo, of the was house a, and, Victor Hugo was a great songwriter because he totally wrote that as a musical. <laughs> Hey, I, I, I like the musical part of it. I mean, I don't really know much. Yeah, about I it. love I love the artwork. Um, it's it's exactly the kind of style that I was hoping Matt would uh, Matt Lawrence would do for this. Yes, one. I just yeah, actually, I just put the cover art up um, by Matt Lawrence at uh, at Matt Lawrence uh, at Matt Lawrence Art on Twitter. Go for, uh, give him a follow. But yeah, it's interesting that you point that out because I was actually talking to him a couple of days ago about this and. I'm not really a, I'm not really a fantasy or even really a genre guy. Um, I like some of the, I, say, I like some work in that genre. I like Tolkien, obviously. You know, I like uh, Philip K. Dick. One of my issues with fantasy is that there is too much backstory, and kind of articulated what I what I felt about the whole thing um, with regards to everyone trying to rip off uh, Tolkien. Tolkien was a medieval scholar. He was a medieval linguist, um, and the history of um, you know the. Uh, the Lord of the Rings is basically rooted in his experience. It's basically him reinterpreting in many ways European history, uh, right. the fantasy realm, which uh, and everyone else tries to imitate that. You know, I named the Song of Ice and Fire as an example, a really bad example of that. Uh, there was a comment on MPC, uh, the uh, my posting career, the old forum years ago. Would you rather read a spy novel by someone who actually worked as a spy? Or someone who has read a lot of spy novels. Right. Uh, there's a certain gravitas there. Conversely, would you rather read a fantasy novel by a medieval scholar like Tolkien or someone who's just read a lot of fantasy novels? You know, you can tell the difference between uh, uh, it, the subject matter right there. Someone who's working with something they know from personal experience versus something they, you know, someone who's just working from, you know, cliches and stuff they've read in other works. Right. And I actually have not read very many, if any, fantasy novels since I was a kid. So, that was one of the things I think was to my advantage. And one of the reasons I tend to avoid reading novels while I'm in the process of writing, because I don't want anything to inadvertently or subconsciously go into my work. And then people will think, oh, I deliberately ripped someone off on something. So I, other than the fact that like, I, I have no problem saying that The Legend of Zelda as, a, as the concept of the video game series inspired me to write it because I always wanted, thought it would make a good novel. Um, and the problem is with a lot of people is they tend to look at the series very autistically. They're like, oh, well, you got to include the dungeons and all stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you include the scenery, but the, what they are is this, it's a progress. It's kind of a, a coming of age story, or at least some of the classical versions of it. It's, it's a coming of age story for a young man. And the other thing that I liked about the series that I can't remember who pointed it out, but they said, it's not the traditional, like, Rome, it's not a romantic story. This is this is not about a hero who's trying to get the girl. He's rescuing the girl, but that's sort of a, a byproduct of him saving the world and defeating the villain and that kind of thing. So that's what also is in this book is the, the main character, Jed, he's not really trying to win over the girl. That's more of he's, he's focused on something else, which is what I like as opposed to the more traditional chivalrous tales where, you know, rescuing thy fair maiden to prove one's worth to her, kind of from the Authorian legends. That was this type of fantasy I was not looking to, to emulate. I didn't want it to be about, you know, the man, the, the boy proving himself to the girl that he was worthy of her. It was more of him 
proving that he was worthy of, uh, of becoming a man. So that's what I, I liked about the Zelda concept that I wanted to translate into this book. But, and there's obviously parts that people might see some similarities to story structure, but it's not like I took any characters. Like there's no one who's, who's specifically based off of anything like that. It's just what made people enjoy that series. I want to take that, th those concepts, those core concepts and translate them into a book. So you say you don't read uh, novels while you're writing a uh, writing a, your own books. So you're basically the Kurt Cobain of literature. <laughs> I have no problem. No, I read novels. I just don't read them while I'm in the process of coming up. Because one of the issues I've had that I have to deal with is that every time I come up with a story idea, I have to uh, make sure that I'm not uh, thinking. It, it may seem like an original idea, but did I get that from somewhere else? And so I have to spend a lot of time taking out anything that might be from a, a cliche or, or whatever it is. Um, and also not, I tend to imitate other, I don't want to say imitate, but I write different styles for different books. And so like the Pilgrim's Digress is totally different from anything I had written before that. As far as uh, uh, style, I tended to be more wordy with that one. I was trying to be understated. Uh, the uh, Legend of Frenia, I tried to do something similar where I wanted it to be a little understated and, and, and be, allow the reader to kind of fill in the blanks on some stuff. And rather than trying <laughs> to be very descriptive and very uh, vivid with the imagery kind of just throw stuff out there and like we're, we're such a visually uh bombarded society that we don't need a lot of we don't need a lot of explanation for for what something looks like anymore except for blind people they're they still haven't figured it out <laughs> well that's what audiobooks are for right <laughs> yeah well i mean i'll circle back to what you said this there tj but to, to kind of clue the audience and kurt cobain refused to listen to other people's music there's actually one point where he yeah. uh well, ran screaming from someone from a cafe because they were playing music his logic was that if he started listening to other people's music that would corrupt his own thoughts and make him unable to do the same thing um yeah it wasn't the heroin it wasn't all the constant drug use or anything that might have <laughs> fucked him up i don't know <laughs> by the way you know who else doesn't uh, listen to a musician who doesn't listen to other people's music um modern example chief keef oh interesting okay. maybe he should because he's not very good at music <laughs> you take that back yeah i now to be fair i do actually i don't read um novels but if i'm trying to write for example i'm working on another book um that's a historical fiction murder mystery but i'm trying to write it in I'm trying to describe nature the same way Jack London did. So I've been, I study um, other people's novels to look at how they describe things or their writing uh, and how they were able to do what I thought was a really good job of, you know, he's describing the Klondike and all these different characters that are living in it. And then other novels that, that are more, <clears throat> I'd say outside of, I, I tend to not be very, how can I put it? Like literary fiction. There's, there's a different writing style with that. It tends to be more, things happen to the character rather than them driving the plot. And that I, my stories tend to be more character driven where the, the person is the one responsible for the story moving forward. Um, you know, a, a author that comes to mind with that is Cormac McCarthy, uh, his books, things tend to happen to the people in the books that they, or, or um, there was that novel atonement that I read years ago where I was trying to think of like, what, what's the plot? And I thought, well, it's not really a, 
the characters don't do much. Things just happen to them. They're not dry. Nothing really happens. But yeah, modern they, modern books really don't have character arcs in that sense. It's just that the characters kind of do things and have things happen to them, and that's more or less it. Which I consider to be, in all, not in all cases, but in many cases, I consider that to be very effeminate because that reflects a worldview of things happen to me rather than I make things happen. You know, one of the one of the frustrations I saw that got me into writing was I was seeing male characters in TV shows or in movies or in books where I just they were very unmanly. They weren't they weren't the type of men that I they weren't Clint Eastwood's type man. They weren't. Uh, a John Wayne type character where they're they're trying to accomplish something. It's more of like, oh, something's happening to me, and you know, let's let's process our emotions on that. I don't know. Could, just, could that ahead. be because, like, I mean, in modern life, I don't know exactly who you talked about besides like Clint Eastwood. Could it be that it just kind of feels like that for every single person these days? I don't think things happen to people. I think life happens at people. And all you can do is go, ah, hopefully that doesn't kill me because it's horrible. It's a horrible existence. So maybe that's just the way people feel a lot of the time is like, there's no fucking heroes. You just, you try not to die every day. Well, that's actually a really interesting thing <coughs> about there not being any heroes. I think that that's one of the issues when I was writing this book is I wanted it to be a non-traditional fantasy story. And in most cases, it's a hero saving people who want to be, who are looking for a hero. But what happens when you've got a world where the people actually aren't looking for a hero and don't necessarily want to be saved? And that's one of the themes of this book is that, that a recurring theme is, you know, Kara, who's the young, uh, young woman um, in the story, she's trying to save her people, but what she keeps coming across is that her people don't want to be saved. <laughs> they, they, they aren't looking for, salvation even though they may pretend to be looking for uh someone to uh, get them out of their troubles but that's that kind of flipped the fantasies you know tail on its head imagine somebody trying to rescue a kingdom and that's the term twilight kingdom came from is this isn't a kingdom that's in a healthy condition and it's being threatened by an external force it's kind of crumbling from within and how do you process that well, right at the beginning of the of the of the of the novel of the novella, you already have the bad guy having basically won in almost all ways. He's conquered the entire land, and all he has to do left, all he has left to do is just to track down this one girl and have him uh, and have her make him into a god. Like it's basically over, aside from that one part. Yeah, yeah. It was funny about um, the the villain Grand Caliga. I. I, what I came up with for him was, so in the Pilgrim's Digress, for people who've read it, I didn't use anything directly from the Cromwell in England, but definitely the ending has a lot of similarities to what actually happened in uh, after the English Civil War. With the villain in this book, I saw him as sort of like, the, the if someone looked at Cromwell as a villain, what would they see him as? And this is kind of there's hints of that as well because it makes an effective archetype. He's this commoner who wasn't in the nobility. Through sheer willpower, he's made himself into this very power, uh, very um, successful general, leader of men. He's he's effectively conquered the the kingdom. He's trying to destroy any last vestige of the monarchy in Ferenia. And there's there's lines where he infers just he's will his he has such willpower that he's an he's 
he's not a, a, a villain that you despise. He's actually kind of a he's kind of a badass. But that, that that's the kind of villain I wanted. I want wanted one that where he's not somebody that you loathe. He's he's a guy who I was thinking. I was just watching the the film that came out in 1970 called the uh, uh, Waterloo. It had Napoleon, and there's a scene where Napoleon's having a letter dictated to some prince after he's come back from Elba and has resumed his status as, as emperor. And he's responding to charges that he usurped the crown. And his response was, I didn't usurp the crown. I found it in the gutter and I picked it up with my sword. And I could see Grant Calga being that type of guy who would say, I didn't, I didn't destroy this, this nation. I found it in the gutter. Uh, so that's where I didn't want, I see that a lot of people tend to write stories where the villains have no redeemable quality. And I think that that's I see, I have some mustache twirling. <laughs> yeah, I'm he, going to go kick some puppies into the creek. Yeah, exactly. It's like <clears throat> villains are, and especially in, in modern stories, they tend to just be one dimensional because it makes it easy for people to understand. And then people get very uncomfortable with the idea that a villain might actually have some sort of redeem. I don't want to say any redeemable qualities, but there's admirable things about someone. Even if, even if they're a bad guy, there's still things about them that are worth noting. You know, uh, you don't Joe Biden, say one good thing about our <laughs> president. Uh, I, I'd say that I would never depict him. So this is where we're talking. <laughs> we're talking about stories that I would write. I would never write a uh, only. Um, well, what's funny is there was that Gen Gen. What was it? Generation Z warfare short story I wrote. I, that was inspired by Joe Biden. Like I can see a, a in reality in modern America where we have a president who is literally wheel carted out in his wheelchair on oxygen, gasping for breath. And everybody just comes on every word he says because they're so mentally broken. I, I totally see that happening at some point where we have uh, Congress is essentially held at a senior living center and everybody's getting their their uh, morphine drips while they're passing these these crazy, insane laws. That fucking rule. I want to see that. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> and the redeeming aspects of Joe Biden. He's got um, good hair plugs. Yeah, he's got good hair plugs. I like when he does this. This is a new thing. I like that when he's doing this now. He likes trains. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, and he's an immortal vampire. That's pretty fucking great. I think so that's, that's cool too. That's actually an This brings up an interesting thing that I've thought about is that in traditional dystopian tales that we read about, like 1984 or uh, A Brave New World or whatever, it's very interesting to see how people depict the bad guy, the bad government is they come off as being these um, physically strong, assertive, um, you know, openly aggressive type people. But what we have, I think that that's a what a right wing authoritarian government looks like. Is you have some sort of strong man, strong leader who's conveying physical strength, or just they they're very open about what they are. Whereas what we have today is we have an authoritarian government that has the like that has hunger game aesthetics where they all look like a bunch of goofballs and but they have the power to just shut stuff down and destroy people's lives at a at a moment's notice you know like we don't we don't even have bad guys our 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 wise overlords are not people who have any redeemable qualities that's one of the problems they don't even look cool 
Right. At least when people, at least when people in, you know, some society where they were being dominated, it's like, well, you know, but there, there's something to admire about someone who dominates you through direct, direct conquest or strength, you know, being conquered by, uh, you know, Genghis Khan or Attila the Hun or something like that. There's, there's something that's not nearly as disjointed as having Joe Biden get up and say, you have to wear the mask if you're not vaxxed or something like that. There's something just repulsive to my soul of seeing people who are physically weak. Like we have, we have people who are censoring us that are a bunch of obese, mentally broken, purple haired HR ladies. Like these are the people that are ruling us. Or at least, yeah. I I I, it, I try not to get depressed, but but that's that's the problem I have is when I see the leaders who are in charge. Like if I'm gonna be, if I'm going to be uh, subjugated to tyranny, I want it to be a tyranny that at least I respect from a in, in a normal healthy way. Uh, I don't I don't. It's it's basically it's bio it's bio yeah. bio <laughs> That's that's the term yeah. we use here. Yeah, I, I just think it's funny. If, 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 why, if you're not, I'll, I'll why not have a? Uh, why not have a? I think your internet's all fucked at the moment, actually. But uh, I, why like why not look at it in the cool way of like actually we're ruled over by a bunch of demonic witches and stuff. That's kind of cool, right? It's like a spooky story. Yeah, well, if the witches didn't weigh 350 pounds, witches always weigh 350 pounds. Have you seen Halloween decorations? Yeah, but have you seen? <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> have you? Yeah, they're they're up there. Sorry, did I cut out? Yeah, yeah. You cut out for a second. Robot. Yeah, I said uh, I said yeah. If you've seen the Roman Polanski's uh, adaptation of Macbeth, the yeah. witches are all morbidly obese. Uh, yeah, that's where I almost had to gouge my eyes out when. <laughs> I, my teacher was showing that in my high school Shakespeare or English class, we were doing Macbeth, and so they were showing the film adaptation. I'm like, you could have warned us. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost scarred for life seeing <laughs> nobody should ever be The context is that the witches were also naked. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. If you haven't seen that film, just know there are parts that you just, you fast forward or you cover your eyes. You're, it's, it's violence. It's visual violence against, against normal men. So, and they're old too. Yeah, if that, if, if, that, if, that, if that didn't make it, if that helps make it worse. Yeah, I, I think the other thing is is I, it's the patronization that I have a huge problem with as well. The the mother in line style authoritarianism of <laughs> I'm doing this to you because I care about you, as opposed to saying I don't care about you. I'm just doing this because I can and and deal with it. Like that is far healthier for for me to d process. And I don't get nearly as upset if somebody just is like, yeah, we like controlling everything you do and we do it because we want to make sure that you're not a threat to our power. That on a, on a, on a, as a, as a man, I can deal with that. At least it's honest. But on top of that, not only is it authoritarian, it's just, they're dishonest with themselves and they're dishonest. The, the ability of someone to just say such ridiculous stuff is, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it, I try to not watch the news too much being a, but <laughs> being a reporter that kind of, creates problems it's uh it's called it's the term is mommy occupied government yes yes it's it's essentially having the world's worst mother-in-law being cl genetically cloned you know how they were like going to make super soldiers with captain america uh they, it, somebody got the vial uh for the mother-in-law you know monster and 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 just create a whole bunch of them and then they all went into government you know who else went into government i'm convinced 
it was what happened is in high school is there was the 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 guy who wanted everything. He got the the cute girl, and he's like, I'm gonna go into business because I'm good at winning at stuff. And the guy who got his you know got the wedgie, got his face shoved into the toilet, got picked on. He's like, I'm gonna go into government. And now they're nerd occupied government. Yes, D the dorks and all the 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 dweebs got into government and where they don't have to compete. And then they just make all these little whiny, mealy mouth uh, excuses for them to just micromanage every single part of our lives. And you just have to look at these people. It's not difficult to tell how many of these people, how many of them got made fun of in high school. And now it's Revenge of the Nerds through COVID. Anthony Fauci. Oh my gosh. That dude looks like a late stage USSR bureaucrat. Like he you just can tell, you can tell as a kid he got shoved into a locker on an almost daily basis. This entire past year has basically been his revenge. Like he's just been eh, yes, finally I'll get my yeah. I've gotten my revenge on the jocks and the sluts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that sounds like a, a novel Annie Nowicki would write is about you know an incel run government, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they would have to be in the fic uh, non-fiction section because it would be too accurate to what's going on. Uh, it's like they always, you know, these these the nerds in charge. They're always shutting down, you know, uh, things like that that cool people enjoy, like nightclubs and bars and whatnot. Uh, sit at home all day on your computer. Like the, that's the that's the nerds' idea of paradise. Yeah, that's what that's what I came to the conclusion is that our. Our society's public policies regarding health <laughs> are set by the most unhealthy, low-energy losers imaginable. So for them to just be stuck at home all day, never going to the gym, never socially interacting—that's stuff that they. There's no loss to them because they already don't. They don't. They don't get to see anybody anyways because they just sit at their computer and you know rage against the world and being able to. They they want to make everyone else as unhealthy, as ugly, as miserable and as isolated as they are without COVID restrictions. This is why I think a lot of people are dreading, at least in my region, they dread having the restrictions removed because then, then not everyone else is like them. They can go outside, but these people have to, are going to remain inside because they don't want to, they just can't. They, they, they chose to, their path, and, but, but if everyone's doing it, you know, if everyone's broken just like them, then that makes them feel comfortable. Yeah, and they're totally divorced from the the struggles of like normal people. I mean, I've talked about this with Bryden. Have uh, you seen like the current spate of like uh, you know dirtbag leftists and so-called democratic socialists laughing about supply chain issues? Yeah, like well, say so, yeah, it's, all these all these all these smug people who claim to be for the working man. It's like oh, it's no big deal. You won't be able to buy toys for Christmas, Chud. And you got all these people um, in the past, uh, over the past week, who were like, "Oh, big deal! Your supermarket doesn't have milk or meat. Those are treats. You don't need them." By the way, meat is a treat that comes from the World Economic Forum. Yeah, it's very I saw. cool. It's very cool that Democratic Socialists are now giving us uh, uh, Klaus Schwab's uh, talking points. <laughs> yeah, this is where rhetoric is going to become increasingly important, and I get really frustrated with people who who have the power to do something about what's going on, but they are completely outgunned and outmaneuvered because they, they, they're delusional. They think that they, they are dealing with people who are well-intended. I keep hammering this point home in my region, the Pacific Northwest, the, 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 the destruction that is going on to our public services through these vaccine mandates, they are not, that is part, that's a feature. That is not a 
unintended consequence. That is absolutely what they're trying to do because these malignant narcissists destroy everything they touch. I've seen it so many times, in, whether it's a little club or if it's a major organization, whatever, the moment they get in charge, they proceed to destroy everything around them because they take pleasure in how, like the power to destroy for them, I, in my opinion, gives them a sexual excitement. That, that's just what, how, that's how, is anybody surprised that Fauci funded or was part of that dog torturing experiment? Nah, not at all. It's probably, it's probably on the list of more wholesome things he's done. Well, yeah, I, that's that's kind of the sad thing is like, well, yeah, I, I can only imagine. But I, this is the kind of stuff that they enjoy doing. They enjoy inflicting pain and misery. So when I see people trying to make appeals to their humanity to be like, this is hurting people. We're, we're losing jobs or whatever. Stop, stop appealing to that because they get like that. that the, what's the, the redhead's name? Um who's the, the press release. Saki, Jen Saki. Yeah, like, you don't think that, that woman gets a, gets a little um, uh, excited when, when reporters are pointing out, oh, there's supply chain issues. And she didn't have like a sense of ex uh, ecstasy when she was able to say, oh, well, you can't get your treadmills on time. She loves saying that. They, they love saying these things. They love rubbing it in our faces. And everybody's see, and then everybody's throwing their hand, they're wringing their hands and they're clutching their pearls and like, how can they say that? Because they're evil. This isn't difficult to understand. They are evil, sadistic people. Stop talking to them or about them like they are ordinary human beings. Yeah, appealing to appealing to Jen Saki's humanity is like appealing to bride and sobriety. <laughs> yeah. 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 And of course, they always trivialize it as well. It's like supply chain issues and hyperinflation. Um, it's not, oh, you won't be able to buy toys for Christmas, Chud. It's, oh, you won't be able to buy food because chicken breasts are $50 a pound. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is why I don't, when I see this stuff going on, I don't, I point it out and then I, uh, I think, okay, the prices are going to go up. We got to, I have to respond in my own life, but other people should not, not rage or try to like, <laughs> what don't be outraged just respond and also anticipate what they're going to do they're going to make things they're going to basically just in my opinion they're going to try and just crash and collapse the country like and it's and what's funny about that is i, I could be wrong but my gut tells me something big is going to happen uh by the end of the year and i'm not talking about something that they do i think that they are just going to destroy this they're going to create some sort of major crisis and it's going to potentially for some people who have the ability to act to act. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're, we're experiencing, I get the vibe of like right before the Berlin wall fell or when the USSR fell, like that's the kind of vibe. when, when the whole thing that happened in Afghanistan, I was like, I, I noted that the, the government that the Soviets put in place in Afghanistan outlasted the Soviet union because it lasted for three years. The Soviet union had collapsed by then. We put a government or the United States government puts their own government in Afghanistan. It falls apart in a matter of weeks. Like, what does that say about the United States government stability as well? I just don't think I, I think that it's being held together by spit, wad and gum at this point. So it's it's going to be an interesting I, I think that within a couple of years, we're going to be dealing with a completely different situation. Now, what it looks like, I have no idea, but that goes back to the issue of what's in the, the book, uh, Legend of Frenia, about dealing with people who are who don't want to be saved. But what in, in our world, 
what does a hero do? Like if you took a traditional hero from, you know, like Conan the Barbarian or, um, or Superman or some sort of traditional hero, but you put them in a world where people don't want to be saved, what do you, what do you do? What, 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 podcast. what <laughs> like every white person does. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I think that that's where I was, I saw an opportunity to tell a different kind of story than what the traditional fantasy. I, and again, I haven't read enough fantasy to know if there's a lot of it out there, but it's more of a, a story about a, a kingdom that's kind of on the decline and the what pulls it out of it is not and even one of the main characters notes at the end of the book he's like yeah you you saved us from this guy but we still have work to do rebuilding because that the the there was problem he wasn't the problem the, the main villain is not the problem in the book the problem is the people he's um, a symptom of the problem yeah it's kind of like with um the the joker film where it it gotham itself was the villain are the cause of the problem like that the city is in its totality as opposed to other interpretations of gotham where it's a city with good people but it's just being overwhelmed by criminals and by gangs and by corrupt politicians and we need someone to come in and clean up everything instead in this book or in in, in the joker film i just everybody is dysfunctional and and john uh, thomas wayne's not a good guy he's like a michael bloomberg uh caricature and the joker is more of a product of that kind of society like they they created the joker as opposed to the joker just being a, a bad guy yeah the joker the joker was a product of their own uh of their own abuse dysfunction negligence he wasn't some force that just came out of nowhere to cause trouble yeah yeah so it's i think you you brought this up when you were tweeting about it a while back about different types of books but you know what how do you tell traditional do heroes even have context in our modern world like what 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 is, is is this the end of heroes and also when there's when there's nothing really to be saved it's more of like we're, it's like we're waiting for it's like we're sitting not to sound macabre but we're we're kind of sitting next to a, a relative who's 110 years old and they they stop being mentally cognizant at like age 91 and you're just waiting for them to to you know finally go so that you know people can inherit all their their stuff i mean that's kind of what's going on here like as far as i'm concerned i'm just waiting for the united states as a country to end in its current form so that something else can be rebuilt that's better but we're not uh, careful what you say in there what do you mean what do you mean you want something maybe perhaps uh built back better is that what you're saying <laughs> Hey, but it, but unlike his plan, mine actually costs something. <laughs> See, I'm against build back better. I'm about to build back higher. Just take a just take a puff of weed before you start building. Yeah, those those roads are going to be real high, apparently, from what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to kind of play to kind of play devil's advocate here, like to kind of circle back to what you said about Afghanistan, TJ. Maybe that was intentional as well. Like the idea of, uh, well, first off, they left God knows how much military equipment there that the Taliban's not going to not going to be able to use. Well, most of it anyway. Um, and they managed to make America look totally humiliated. And uh, oh yeah, and they freed up a whole bunch of troops that could, uh, I guess, potentially be used on American soil. You know, to quell insurrections. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all possibilities. And this is where uh, I'm reluctant to kind of say in a, uh, with any certainty what's going on, because either this government is going to further consolidate power and become more entrenched, or it's, it's acting this way because it's weak. And so that's where I just, I know that there were some, a couple of people I know were involved in the intelligence community and they thought that the government was going to last for several years, the Afghanistan government. Now, who knows? They were probably guys on the ground who didn't really know too much about what's actually being planned at the top level. But yeah, I think that that's absolutely a possibility where they just do this stuff to humiliate the country because let's also be frank, the people who are pulling Biden's strings are not Americans. They're foreigners. I, I'm convinced that most of the United States government, I don't see the United States government as American. I see it as a foreign government, foreign run government. Um, and it's run by foreigners from different countries who are here to just exploit the, the American people. So I don't consider when people use the word federal, they should just say foreign as far as my book is concerned. Or, because, or people who basically just don't have an attachment to anywhere, like uh, a certain vice president. Yeah. Yeah. People who just don't have, they, they see America as an economic opportunity zone. They're here to just get wealthy and enrich themselves, but they have no ties to any specific nation. Uh, they have no allegiance to anyone other than themselves. And so that's, that's what's killing stuff is that there's people who actually care about the country who actually care about uh, where they live. And then there's people who show up and they're there to exploit and uh, get as much, extract as much as they can and then get it skedaddle before uh, the consequences of any policies they've supported. Uh, well, we're in the we're in the end stages of managerialism. You know, you if you've read uh, uh, James Burnham's The Managerial Revolution, that's basically the manager class right there. The manager class being people like CEOs, civil service bureaucrats, right. people who have people who have class consciousness in the Marxist sense, and that they feel more loyalty to managers from other countries than they do to their own towards their own countrymen. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, you got the guy who's working at uh, Disney and then he goes to work at AT&T or somebody who they're not loyal to a company, they're loyal to a patient. And then he gets appointed Secretary of Commerce. Or you're the head of the FDA and then you go accept a position on the board of a pharmaceutical company. Who's, yes. You know, stuff you just approved that yeah. later gets recalled because it has carthenogenics in it. <laughs> or you're saying... Or you say a Wall Street, uh, you're you're a Wall Street stockbroker who uh, becomes uh, secretary of the Treasury, and then you go back to the to the private sector, and then you lose about uh, several about a hundred million uh, of your clients' money, and you walk. Yeah, you walk, but some guy at the bottom who you know miss uh, made a mis error on on some document, he goes to jail for ten years. Yeah. Yeah, some oh. guy, some guy who made six hundred dollars and forgot to uh, forgot to report it. Yeah, forgot to. <laughs> yeah, which is why, which is why the IRS needs to monitor our bank accounts, guys. So that's. Uh, or some nerd, or some nerd with like uh, you know a thousand dollars in unrealized crypto gains. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be another interesting one. Is the I I don't have an opinion either way on cryptocurrencies. I've been watching it just with kind of from an outsider neutral perspective, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because one of it's in, it's been inevitable that the United States government is going to try to control crypto. And if it can't that, because a lot of wealth is now in Bitcoin, 
they're going to want that wealth. They're going to want to, uh, they're not just going to want to control it as a currency. They're going to want to get the wealth from people. And if they can't control direct, can't directly control the currency or get access to it, they're going to control people who own it. And what that looks like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not malicious enough of a human being to anticipate, but they'll always come up with ways where, you know, we, they can't make you hand over the Bitcoin. They can just make you regret not doing it. But yeah, the unrealized gains is going to be one of those where you have to report um, Bitcoin. Like how much do you own? You're going to have to put that down on a document or something like that. Um, and it, it will become more radical and extreme in their policies. The more the U.S. dollar, if that loses stability, if there's some sort of currency crisis. It already that, has lost stability. Sorry, yeah. to, but uh, continue. No, yeah, I, I'm thinking where its its status as the world reserve currency is on the verge of ending, or if they default on their on their national debt or something like that, something where they are trying to just come up with some place to find more wealth. And it, and if a lot of people go into crypto um, or into Bitcoin specifically, so that's gonna be. That's why I just haven't really formed an opinion on it because some people see it as the, I don't want to say magic bullet, but they definitely see it as a um, long-term alternative to the U S dollar. And uh, I, I just don't know what that's going to look like. It's just been, it's interesting to watch, but I'm watching it for, as a neutral spectator. I don't have a, a fan Jersey of either, either side. Yeah. On. Yeah. Uh, just a, just a quick aside. Um, I should have mentioned this earlier, but if you have questions for TJ, uh, Brian or myself, you can go to streamlabs.com slash terrorhouse magazine and uh, leave a tip um, and we'll read them later on the show. But yeah, um, this is something I also talked about with Brian recently. You know, I'm wondering if like the goal is basically Argentina, which Argentina is like a byword for, you know, economic collapse and perpetual, per perpetual stagnation. Because a century ago, uh, a century ago, Argentina was actually wealthier than the U.S. It was uh, considered an up-and-coming world power because right. it was extremely wealthy, had a competent uh, government. Uh, they stayed out of World War One and basically got rich off of uh, selling beef to both sides of the conflict. That's actually a, that's actually a minor plot point in um, Journey to the End of the Night by uh, Louis Ferdinand Celine. You know, the main character uh, talks about how his girlfriend is cheating on him with Argentine beef dealers. You know, during World War One. You know. Uh, but then Argentina had a succession of really terrible governments and military juntas that just hyperinflated the currency by printing everything, spending like crazy. Um, they threw open the borders and letting all these uh, uh, Bolivians and Paraguayans um, to the point where actually uh, Argentina, you can actually overstay your visa and uh, not get kicked out of the country. You can regularize it. You know they have a very uh, they have a very lenient. Uh, Policy towards illegal immigration, and now you've got a situation. And now you got the situation Argentina is in now, where it's like they've had repeated economic crisis after economic crisis. They defaulted on their debt a million times. You know they they've got capital controls to prevent mass capital flight. Um, Wasn't there that one um, <clears throat> that there's that girl on Twitter who's from our, uh, Lady Lady Esther? Yeah, didn't she? I can't remember where I heard it, but that she she and her fiance snuck money out of the country yeah she wrote about that on twitter uh she said uh back in i think it was 2001 their last major economic crisis um she and her fiance left uh, for spain and she had taped her life savings to the inside of her bra yeah i was i i can't remember what or know what i th that was just stuck with me where i'm thinking okay 
is that what it's going to be like for us in the U.S. where people are having to sneak currency, their currency? Uh, no, how much is our dollars going to be worth? Like, what's, what form are we going to be sneaking it out of? Is it because the nice thing about crypto, like uh, cryptocurrencies, is you don't have to attach it to your body to sneak it out of the country. Um, it goes wherever you have access to Internet. Um, yeah, or- I mean, um, some people speculate that the reason the borders have been closed for so long due to uh, due to COVID is in part to prevent a mass capital flight event from the U.S. Because basically, once rich people have always played games with their money, but if we get to a situation like Argentina, where the middle class is pulling out of the country on mass, it's over. It's done. Uh, yeah. You're on the road to Argentina at that point, and then beyond that point lies Venezuela, where you have just a very small uh, a very small class of rich connected elites. And a mass of poor people, and everyone else is gone. Yeah, I, I think that that's that that's a very strong possibility, and that would, <clears throat> if that were to happen, it's like, what does America look like moving forward? Because one of the things that has allowed a lot of the insanity in America to to go on is because they can just continue creating more and more money, and the effects of it have not, they're being felt by the average person, but they're not being felt by the government where the government is not able to continue playing these finance, the fiscal games with, uh, with manipulating the economy, manipulating the, the currency. What happens when they have to, they're constrained fiscally to spending only on stuff that they have, they, you know, you can't go into debt anymore. What, like what happens when the government, federal government can only spend only has the money to spend on basic stuff and maybe then it doesn't even have that what what is what does the country look like then and i i don't have an answer to it I, that's where i'm kind of curious to see what would happen it wouldn't be good um i could obviously it would be bad for for the average person myself included where we would probably be having to deal with the soviet era uh bread lines you know you have to wait two hours to get butter from the store i have a, a friend of mine who married a girl from romania and she's old enough to remember uh, the days before the end of the Cold War where the, that's what it was like. You had to wait a very long time to get basic necessities uh, because it was so there was so little of it and there was so little money. But TJ, breadlines were awesome because they fostered a sense of community. Oh my gosh. There are some people who just need to be – this is what happens when you have a society that doesn't have enough low-level violence in terms of – there's some people who whoa, just – Whoa, whoa. It, so many problems in life would be solved if it were socially acceptable to punch people in the face for saying really ridiculous stuff. And that's what, like, our foreign policy is set by people who have not been punched in the face. For, they, they were the kid in high school where they would hide behind, especially in my era, um, and you guys are probably the same age as me, in my high school, they had a uh, zero tolerance policy for violence. So if you touched anyone in anger, you're immediately suspended for three days. I thought that doesn't protect people who are normal because that protects the kid who's the delinquent and doesn't care about life, but he gets to punch you and he gets suspended, but you can't touch him because you're actually trying to go somewhere in life. I must read a prepared statement now. Um, We are Terror House Radio opposes all forms of violence. (laughs) Joe Biden is a democratically elected president of the United States. COVID is real. You should wear a mask. You should also get vaccinated. Um, There you go. But but yeah, going back to that point, you know, that that was something my school had as well. Uh, You know, the zero tolerance 
tolerance policy for violence, you know, where you basically someone bullies you, you deck them in the face, um, and then you're the one who gets in trouble because if you, 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 you know, even if you didn't start it, you're just as bad. This very, this very uh, boomer lib way of looking at uh, looking at the world. Well, they just suspended uh, both kids when I was growing up. I mean, that was like if you get in a fight, you both get suspended, and that makes sense. I don't know um, a kid if he. It, it, under two circumstances, if he started a fight unjustly and if he lost the fight, like son, you, you, that's the only acceptable, the only unacceptable thing um, that's going on. But I remember one time I had a kid that threw a rock at my face and I went up and tackled him to the ground. He was just being a, a, a dick. So I go and tackle him to the ground and I start smacking him in the face. And the recess teachers pull me off of him and they start lecturing me about how, you know, you're supposed to turn the other cheek and all that other kind of stuff. I was like, and I, of course, being a, a barrack room lawyer, um, said, well, it said when you're struck on the cheek, when someone slaps you, he threw a rock at me. I didn't, <laughs> and it didn't hit me in the cheek. So, but it, that mindset of like freaking out when someone defends themselves. And I think that that's a, a, a good psychological test for people is, you know, if you see two kids, one's bothering the other and harassing them, and then that kid turns around and smacks them in the face. What do you do? At what point do you intervene? If you're only intervening after a kid is, is asserting himself and standing up for himself, there's probably something screwed up with you. Um, you find something threatening about someone setting healthy boundaries with another human being. No, it makes way more sense that if you're you got two kids fighting, that they both got to get into trouble because you can't. They that's their their formative years, and they've got to learn. We've got rules that are you can't go around fighting. This isn't nom. There are rules. Right. <laughs> I mean, you just you can't do that. You can't go around fighting people. We got there's laws. You're going to get into trouble for that. So we teach kids don't fucking fight. You know, it's don't don't fight with each other. Right? You call each other gay or something like that. But you don't you can't hit each other. You know, and, they, and I'm sorry if a kid it doesn't matter who starts it. If two kids get into a fight, those kids get suspended. If one kid just goes and pummels another kid, the first kid gets suspended. But you're not allowed to fucking you're not allowed to fight. These are formative years. We teach this because otherwise they start solving all their problems like that. And then they're never gonna be able be able to be the manager at the McDonald's. You know, they're gonna <laughs> be punching customers and shit. You're never you're never you're never gonna be able to be a you know a DoorDash driver with that kind of mentality. Right. You start yeah. punching people, like it's you know, no, it makes perfect sense. Like yeah, I mean we, we all need to go go get the mid-level manager job at the uh, at the uh, Globo Homo Corps um, headquarters. where you work, unless you're a fucking boxing trainer. I don't think that you're really <laughs> able to, you know. Like, <laughs> shouldn't hit people. I mean, it's like a basic thing that we teach people is like, hey, probably don't do that part of that. You, you know, it's not even nice to scream at people, but definitely don't assault people because you get in all kinds of trouble for that. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah you, That's shouldn't, an interesting... you, should, you shouldn't hit people. Yeah, like it's except like if you're hit back. Thing. Yeah, All right. it's, 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 you can't. They're kids, man. You can't. You gotta. You gotta punch the kids if they're fighting. It's well, there. man, I gotta say with the the upcoming generation, and I'm curious about your your gentleman's thoughts on this. I, I look at the upcoming generation, and I, I see some rays of hope, but I also see instances where I'm just wondering if it's gonna be. If this COVID stuff, this is where I'm, you know, just noticing, is this how it's going to be for the rest of their lives where they just never get out of this funk of we're going to sit and play video games and we're going to be online all the time and our lives are going to be lived mo like virtually all, 
virtually. It's going to be lived almost entirely online because technology has allowed people to not have I mean, the lockdowns are possible because of the internet. There's no way they'd be able to pull off this nonsense if people weren't able to work from home and kids weren't able to go to school online and, and stare at a screen for 14 hours a day. I just wonder how what it's going to do their social skills and and their the way that they view the world. And it's, oh, it's relevant. It's, we're we're going to have we're going to have an absolutely crippled generation. I mean, you thought Zoomers are bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, people, people, this is something I keep noticing is like with millennials, yes, there's a lot of problems with our generation and I don't, I, I self-identify as some other generation. I am, I'm not a Gen Xer, I, I, they tend to be too um, rooted in, in being, how can I put it? It's pretty easy to tell like a Gen Xer movie where just they're not really, they don't really care about anything and it's just being kind of... Uh, insincere for lack of a better word or something like that but uh, at least millennials in some cases are capable of social interaction a lot of the younger kids they're very literal um and they take things very serious they tend to take things pretty seriously and you can't reference anything other than a handful of stuff like with with uh, girls under the age of 30 god help you if you try and reference anything other than the office that's the only <laughs> yeah, thing that those yeah well, yeah, Brian, I, I mean, Brian can rant about Zoomers for days. So, <laughs> I mean, I think some of them are—they're—they're, they're, you know, they're—they're they're not bad kids, but they also don't have. No, 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 no. I, they are—they are bad kids. They're bad at being kids. They're bad at being kids. They're bad at being people. For real, the whole Gen Z thing—they're absolutely stupid. They—they don't—they're not funny. That's the biggest part. Is they're not fucking funny because everything that they think is funny does come from like a television show which is not di that different than when like we were kids like how many times do people just quote napoleon dynamite or you know whatever for movies but or like the simpsons or something but a lot of those people grew up to like develop a sense of humor from like a base of content you know like simpsons was huge for you know me growing up to developing the sense when of everybody humor. watched it adults watched it kids watched it these kids are watching stuff that nobody else from what i see is watching and they also they kind of, yeah like you were saying they don't have a good sense of humor so they aren't very they aren't capable of picking up on on i guess a sophisticated sense of humor it's very simplistic and the same thing with a lot of the tv shows where you know for these young kids growing up they're watching stuff that is is very and we're looking at the rise of autism like well yeah look at the shows that are teaching them social skills no wonder they're growing up you know emotionally crippled well, they're just dumb little shits that just repeat shit all the time anyway. I mean, it's no, it's true. Like, all they do is go, oh, hello, Epic Base Department, Lindy Sneed. You know, these people are fucking retards, dude. They're not funny. They're not original. Half of them are just, like, real dumb. They don't know how computers work. They'll, they, they don't know. Like, they're buying. These are the people that are buying NFTs, bro. This is what is, it does, it's a dumb thing. They're doomed. They're not even good at being kids. They're horrible people, and I hate them all. I just I don't like any fucking Gen Z douchebag that, that that's out there. They're all awful. I know like three of them that are nice enough kids, but like they're fucking. Ugh. Hello, cringe Shit. department. Hello, <laughs> cringe <laughs> department. Lindy <laughs> Sneed, yeah. my check, you fucking retards. <laughs> Idiots, dude. <laughs> 
Tell us how you really tell us how you really feel about them, Brian. Why no, why are all rap songs a minute and a half long now? What the fuck happened there? Even the music's bad. Like it's a <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare. That's it's just horrible. It's truly fucking horrible. And then they'll, they'll like I knew I was in a, a, an annoying 20-year-old as well, but god damn, that sense of like entitlement that these little shits have, like, yeah, I'm like really uh really like a smart guy. No, I don't ever want to get a job or anything. Uh, I'm going to make all my money on crypto. They're fucking horrible, dude. So like, I, you know, whatever happens to them. Good. Okay. <laughs> the boomers I, I, think... us, I intend to fuck these kids over so bad. When I am like in my sixties, I'm going to go, no, I'm going to keep this fucking job. Have fun being entry level in your forties, dick. Well, the problem is, is that the boomers are still going to be around and they're still going to be hoarding all the wealth and all the oh, control. I was going to say, Brian, it's pretty optimistic to think you'll have a job. Yeah, the boomers are going to ship it over to some country in, and then complain about why they have to press two for English. You yeah. know, <laughs> I, that's where I'm actually quite terrified. My fear is that the boomers are going to keep coming up with ways to live, to postpone death. And it'll be, I mean, that's what this whole lockdown in a lot of ways was about. It's about boomers being afraid of dying. And so they projected all that fear of death onto a bunch of little children who are now going to grow up emotionally stunted. And also the other thing that I, you know, I'm sure Bryden agrees with you on this. They're taught to be afraid of everything, whether it's climate change, uh, the, the forests are burning, everything's, you know, going to end. And, uh, you know, the, the country's full of racists, you know, it, the, we're, we're on the verge of being taken over by white supremacists. And you want they it was like at least the kids during the baby boomers you know they they risked nuclear war but they weren't constantly being told that every single day this is a day and they weren't being shown videos of like what it would look like if there was a nuclear bomb in their home it was just like okay go hide under your desk if there's a bomb going off that's it well they <laughs> did have duck, they did they they did have duck and cover right which was like a way of a way of avoiding the fact of saying, well, how should we prepare? Well, nothing. If there's a bomb going off, you're going to incinerate. Like, you're going to die. There's no, like, but we don't want to tell you that because then you're going to be really anxious. Like, here, you know, go dig a little ditch underneath your house. It's not going to do anything, but at least gives you this sense of there's something you can do as opposed to now where they're constantly. I, I remember talking to this one girl who was a Zoomer um, after the, the 2016, like the night of the 2016 election, uh, she's watching, you know, uh, it, it it wasn't her turn apparently, um, and she said, not ironically, she goes, "Well, that was our last chance to save the planet." Yeah. <laughs> I just looked, I was like, "What?" <laughs> I, so imagine like all these kids who have all these anxieties about life, and then they get to go vote. See, that's where I'm. I'm like, I. What do you do? What do you do with that? They got, I mean, I don't know. They got to figure it out. That's, that's the thing. They got to figure it out. Listen, there's so many things to be anxious uh, for death being one of them. I mean, that's a huge thing, but you got to, I don't, oh my God. what, what did you say when she said that was our last chance to save the planet? Did you, did, did you trip her when she tried to walk up the stairs after that? Like, how did you, there's no way I wouldn't have just hawked a loogie right in her eye and be like, oh, well, idiot. Like, I, th what do you do to that? Roll your eyes, well, maybe. Think, well, and also, are they? Is this generation going to be readers? Are they actually going to read books? And what kind of books are they going to want to 
read, you know. Theory, TJ. Theory. That's what they read. Or young adult novels. Young adult yeah. novels. Yeah, I because I, I noticed a lot of these kids have moved from you know back in when back in the early 2010s it was blogs were the big thing. Everybody was blogging and everybody was reading blogs, and then it switched over to podcasts, and now it switched over to live streaming. Every kid I know under 20 consumes a significant amount of content by watching live streams of people who are either playing video games or they're talking about something or whatever it is. And then everybody wants to go be a YouTube influencer. Like that's their career goal. Like every girl wants to go have her OnlyFans account and her TikTok channel. Yeah. And Brian, then we wonder Brian, Yeah. Brian talked about that. We uh, about a couple months ago, he found an apartment in his area that uh, boasted the building having a podcast studio. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think I, I caught that one. And then there was an entire house at one point where it was just full of um, these YouTubers. Like that's all, it, it was a house just packed full of content. Content Was it, influ is that what it's called? Influencers or something like that? I think Influencers, you have content creators. Yeah, I think you have to get paid to be an influencer. I think influencers like hot products on their Instagram and just take pictures of like their butts and stuff. But like yeah. content creators is like basically anybody. So like you keep saying like, oh yeah, all these kids watch these live streams or listen to these podcasts. None of mine, they don't. Not a single <laughs> one of them. I won't allow it. I don't <laughs> allow it. <laughs> I find out somebody's 20, they're fucking banned. I don't have time. Don't to... trust anyone. Don't trust anyone under 20, right? <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, 30 actually. <laughs> My rule is if you're under the age of 25, your brain's not fully fucking developed, and you can come back in a few goddamn years, and maybe you'll know what the fuck I'm talking about. And by that time, I'll have changed the rules. So, <laughs> it's just the age gap matters. <laughs> age gap lives matter. Yeah, it's just you know, I, I I don't know. It's it's I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about what these kids are going to be like. I mean, they're all we can already tell that they're going to be fucking horrible. Half the people our age are pretty fucking horrible, but. These kids don't have a damn chance in the world. And, you know, that's fine when all the dams break or whatever because everybody just has a gender studies degree or some HR crap or hotel management shit and they're working for the Chicoms. That's fine. I don't care. I don't live near a dam. Fuck it. <laughs> we're probably, we're probably going to have a short, we're gonna have a shortage of plumbers in like 10 years. Maybe. Well, <clears throat> Anybody who tells their kid to be a plumber or an electrician or some of these trade jobs, they're basically just they're they're setting their kid up for success without having to do anything. Just say go into plumbing. Um, I remember back this was a couple of years ago. I saw like handwritten signs on on the side of the road saying like um, entry level electrician hire immediately forty five dollars an hour full time. It's like so. This is what really frustrates me is is every idiot told their kid to go to college and pursue their dreams and their dreams always involve getting a worthless degree that they can't do anything with and then they take it out on people like me by voting for you know totalitarian communist nonsense so that's yeah i don't worry about it i just am thinking okay these people are going to vote a certain way that's going to affect me so how do i avoid that but also um at some point you know this is a fantasy novel that's coming out and it does deal with some of the stuff that's uh, happening in modern America. But if I'm going to write about a fiction that's taking place now, what is it about? Because 
I, I want to write a novel at some point about the millennial generation, uh, you know, what we went through, kind of like how, um, not not to say it's going to be of the same quality or, or scope or ambition, but, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote his book, The Side of Paradise, that was looking at the lost generation. So I was thinking, I don't know if anybody's written, to my knowledge, I, maybe I haven't come across it, but I haven't seen a novel that really looks at the millennial generation from a millennial perspective. Most of it, and, and specifically from a non-leftist perspective, uh, most of it is, is boomer spurgs trying to ma make fun of millennials, which is rainbow funny. parties, jankum, butt chugging. Right. I, I, I find it so, you know, the boomers to me are what the zoomers are to Bryden. Like that's how I feel <laughs> probably more so because they, at least with zoomer, like we're, we didn't raise the zoomers. Right, Brian did not raise any of these Zoomers. Going, the Boomers raised. How do the you know that? Oh, okay. I, no, sorry, <laughs> I was making some assumptions here, but uh, <laughs> um, we, to my knowledge, none of us raised any of them. But Boomers absolutely raised the Millennials, and then they get to go. The, the, the same ones who told their daughter to take out a uh, hundred thousand dollars in student loans is making fun of them for wanting to have student loan debt. Uh, forgiven or something like that. So, but going back to the novel, I, I'm looking at that, but it's thinking, you know, how how do we like what do we what do we do as writers right now? Like, what period of history are we going through? Is there a lost generation? Is there what what is uh, what's the narrative going to be? And I think that that's really what's going on here is a confusion over narratives because a lot of people are living in a 1980s Reagan era narrative on a lot of stuff and Good times. Oh, the music was better. Yeah. But no, well, I got a title for you. I got a title for your book. Uh, two financial crashes, the story of social media and, uh, or two financial crashes an avocado toast love story. <laughs> and uh, it could just be about how pretty much everybody, even the, the people that worked to to have good jobs and all that, still got fucked over and uh, are just kind of counting on uh, it all to, to get fucked up. You know, even, yeah. the, even the rich people were like, I guess I'll put it into crypto. And then the other people, like the poor people, were like, I'm going to count on communism. So the millennials are all kinds of fucked up. We had a bunch of financial crashes and it, we weren't taught very well. and We're kind of just re retarded from the Internet. Two, two, two financial crashes, the rise of generation podcast. <laughs> well, it's, I have an outline for the novel. It essentially is a guy who, a millennial who graduates from college right during the Great Recession and is constantly trying to pull himself up, but he's dealing with all the stuff that a lot of us have dealt with where there was just a fallout of everything. There was an economic fallout. There was you know, the, that was also the height um, of hookup culture. And then there was all these hysterias. You had the, the, the college campus rape hysteria in the 2014, 2015, which, which shockingly has completely gone away. We haven't heard anything about that in a long time. You know, it's one, it's one, it's one. They, 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 all, they, all, they all stopped having sex. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, you know, <clears throat> it reminded me of that film that it was a pretty, I, I didn't really care for the film, but uh, Josh Harnett started in it. It was uh, 40 Days and 40 Nights. It's uh, about a guy who the tagline is he's about to do the unthinkable, no sex for 40 days. That is the epitome of like a, a Generation X 
movie. But what's funny is try explaining that concept to a Zoomer. These, these spurts are like the idea that you have to actually engage in self-discipline to avoid having sex. Whereas a lot of these guys today are, you, we have an epidemic of, of incels. The, the Zoomer version would be 40 days without jacking off. <laughs> 40 days without my cell phone. <laughs> oh, 40 days without paying an OnlyFans gal. <laughs> 40, days, 40 days without recording a podcast. <laughs> you know what? Actually, that would make a good uh, either novel or short stories. A, a Zoomer who's trying to avoid like complimenting an e-thought girl that he's following on, on, uh, I don't know how only fan, like, uh, or what's the other one? TikTok. What's the one that the girls are all the, you know, basically thoughting themselves out on is it oh, uh, real life. Maybe Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> right. But right. But they, like these accounts where they're just, they guys pay, they just throw money at them and that's it. They don't get which that could be only fans. That could be, I think probably TikTok. Yeah, we're basically a guy who's going trying to go 40 days without giving money to some e thought. Like that's the Zoomer equivalent. Don't press um, like, don't press like, don't press like. Don't press like. Don't don't comment. Don't comment. <laughs> no donation. <laughs> no, all these well, all these fucking nerds. They've got like uh they got like calculators for penises now at this point anyway. None of them are like <laughs> they won't talk to women. They're you know, but it's like they I don't understand these kids, you know. I th it, the thing is, you would think that like the art would be better. You would think mm -hmm. that like the 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 music would be good, or like the because uh, like I, when we were growing up, you know, I, I understand why like my my parents would make fun of uh, like the scene music and like emo and and uh, you know all that type of stuff, which I still like. I'm sorry, Fall Out Boy is a great fucking band. Uh, it's a, it's a great band, but. Yeah, it's like goofy. I'm should retire. I'm gonna I'm gonna retire this episode. Brian comes out of the closet. <laughs> you know, Fall Out Boy, bitch. Fall Out no. Boy is super good. Going down, down in an earlier round, and show you where you're going down, swinging. No, you're not was... one with a bullet, a loaded gun, uh, shotgun, cock and pull it. Going down, down, down. No, and then no, he went, sent his picture of his dick to like a 14 year old, and nobody ever talks about it. <laughs> well, okay, that part's uh, that's okay, pretty funny, I'll, but nobody ever I won't talks say about that. Email yeah. music fucking rules. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Well, I like, I like Theory of a Dead Man. They're not bad. Right. Got all kinds of good music that was going on. The rap was better, and then now it's there's like, I mean, there's good stuff. Like you know, Drake is good, but he's not like one of these younger guys. Uh, I don't know what the, what I'm supposed. It's all bad. Well, there's culture's been stagnating for a long time. Yeah. Bickloff has made this point that there really hasn't been any major musical innovation since since rap came around. Basically, I mean, right. I remember like a year ago, you Brian, you introduced me to that band Pale Waves with that with that yeah. tatted up goth chick. Good band, I like them, but that their music could have just as easily come out like 10, 15 years ago, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Dubstep started in the 90s and then it gained a lot of popularity in the early 2000s. And then now it's in fucking Honda commercials. But Dubstep's great. I'm the last guy on the planet that still listens to Dubstep. But, you know. Yeah, I think they're, they're going to put you in a museum. The last Dubstep fan. That'd be fine. I'll sit there, get just as much good done in society, you know. And like, ah, I was envisioning more of they'd mountain stuff you like they did with Lennon. 
Uh, I'm about to mount your mom. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's one of the problems is that there's this cultural stagnation across all. This is why they're doing all these freaking remakes and sequels to every movie that was ever made is because they just don't they they've accepted this sort of end of history attitude, but they don't actually know what the world they want to look like. It doesn't exist. It's like you know, at least with the Soviets, they had this idea. They had a clear vision of what they wanted for their society, even though they killed millions of people in the process. They didn't. They were still capable of making. We discussed this on the podcast with, when we were talking about the Pilgrim's Tigers. Soviets were still capable of making good architecture and good, uh, good aesthetics in some cases. Now they did make ugly buildings to demoralize people, but they also were capable in some cases of not uh, of actually doing stuff better. These people are incapable of doing any kind of art well. Like they're, this is why the left can't meme because they don't understand. They've, they've moved past the point where they are, they're in charge so they don't have to be artistically creative to get their message across. Um, I, I remember listening to early 2000 music recently where this was kind of at the, during the Bush years or whatever, and this is when there was at least some sort of artistic endeavors going on. Uh, some of it hasn't held up well, obviously, and, and all that other kind of stuff. But I think part of it is is what art reflects values. What are the values? And, and, and do people understand what's actually happening right now? I think for a lot of people, they're just very confused. Well, the thing, the thing with the with the the Cold War communists, like the Soviets, had like a positive vision of the future. Their whole thing was like, yeah, we're eventually going to build the workers' paradise, and it's going to be great. It was bullshit, but it was something to aspire towards and look forward to. Whereas what's going on today, nobody has any positive vision of the future. Right. Even the people who are you know talking about build back better and uh, you know the democratic socialists about meat is a treat. Like it's not about how we're going to have this great uh, fully automated. Uh, luxury gay space communism. It's going to be a dark, depressing world where you live in a pot hotel and eat bugs, and you're not allowed to go more than uh, five kilometers outside of your, uh, you know, designated uh, living zone without a permit. Um, and you're going to stream everything, and you're going to own nothing. There's nothing Make aspirational about that. It's depressing. It's all for cl climate change, you know, or whatever. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. They, I think that this is where. Um, this is where there's an opportunity for people who are for my, people like myself where these people are these the, the enemy is so negative in everything they do that they demoralize and depress even their own side and so when people are countering that with a positive narrative that's going to be very difficult for them to combat because you just say you know what exactly are you trying to build show me what that looks like and then show me where you've actually achieved that and the the difference in a lot of cases with the Soviets is they were they took a country that it had a lot of beautiful stuff, but it was a poor country. That Russia was a third world country, uh, or not third world, but it was it was not a really a major world power, and in, in, in it was not economically prosperous um, at the time. So they were not taking something that was strong and destroying it. They were taking something that was already not doing well and then trying to make it better, as opposed to where things were not terribly bad you know 20 years ago there were some things wrong but it wasn't anywhere near where we're at now this is where you know people are, it's it, how could it possibly get any worse now i risk saying that because i know it can get worse and in, in ways that uh you know everybody thinks it can't get any worse and it ends up doing so in ways that you can't you wouldn't even have imagined but they don't have anything good to say they don't they don't have a 
hey, we're going to build a world where everyone's happy or everyone's getting along. It's for them. It's very much a uh, it's, it's also driven by self-hatred. I don't think a lot, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to paint, God forbid I paint a pretty, uh, a, uh, more positive portrayal of the USSR. I don't think it was necessarily driven or led by men who hated themselves, but the people who run this nation and who are charged in every stratum of society, they hate themselves. And it's reflected in how they do their art, their architecture, and the public policies that they set. They do this stuff because they hate themselves. And so they hate other people and they, they project that self-hatred onto others. So that's, it's, it's an Ouroboros of loving. Okay. Yeah. Two things. One, I fucking hate myself and I hate other people and I'm not a fucking lib shit asshole. You know, I, so I, they've got some other type of problem going on because I'm like taxes. That's ridiculous. We ought to just privatize everything. And that'd be at least a step in the right direction. You know, right, that's going to come with all kinds of problems, but at least it'd be, one thing down, uh, but you know, I think that they don't have to. They don't have to have this uh, positive vision because they can use it in their rhetoric to say, like, "Well, we we have to clamp down and become more aggressive because things are this bad." And like, look at how bad it is. That's why we have to welcome authoritarianism and all of that. That's it's just used in their stupid rhetoric of like, "We must sacrifice because things are this bad." So you keep them all depressed and alarmed and anxious and all of that. They that's they use that. They use that as see clearly everything's awful. We don't want to feel this way forever. Anything would be better than this. That's why we have to, you know, I don't know, bathrooms and toy aisles and shit. Right. I think the the issue is they they also demoralize their own side to the point where like what is there to believe in or or care about? It's it really is begging the question of like, why do they even want to live? Like that's that's a question I would put to some of these people. If you feel this way, like what what makes you want to live because what you're because they everything there's a problem everywhere there's a crisis everywhere this is never going to get solved you know we have two years left to save the planet two years later we have five years to save the planet you know it's it's just a continuous um the rhetoric is very apocalyptic of the and we have is, 30 seconds to save the planet <laughs> yeah they have very it, it's very religious it's a it's an apocalyptic narrative of like and that's what's interesting is they're tra they're talking about how they're going to build a better world but they're talking about it like this is the end of our lives like this is the end you know well, they're, they're, just, they're just scaring people into doing what they want man i don't think there's like a big psychological thing that should be studied it's just this is what bullies do is they just scare people into doing what you know they want they scare stupid people into and on top of that most of the people besides your like far left types uh in general like you know the ones that like just vote the democrat way and are just like and i am a suburban mom and all of that shit they they support these things because one it doesn't really affect them uh and uh, or at least yet and two it's just a way to show that they're very smart and compassionate so i don't know i don't think these people are particularly demoralized by this i think this is just their damn life and they're fucking happy with it uh as happy as they're gonna be i mean there's something you know, relatable about being a miserable fucking cunt. But again, none of these people are funny. So I don't know what their outlet is besides being a fucking bully. Yeah, I think the best way to combat this stuff, and I'm not talking about in, in any kind of organized, oh, we're going to fight, we're going to, we're going to take this country back, man. Boomer, boomer, boomer. <laughs> I'm talking about more of like in our personal lives. You know, for me, I become more conscious about aesthetics. So that means, um, but also having a positive outlook on, uh, 
not being like, you know, Ned Flanders, well, how do you own neighbor or something like that, but just being, having a positive view of life um, in my life and dressing well and working on trying to create good art. That's the best way to fight these people because they want us depressed, miserable, frumpy, and, and uh, without hope. And I kind of think about it where I'm just, I, I imagine there's one short story I want to write where there's this guy who's, you know, locked up in a, in some sort of like camp, concentration camp and the guards are miserable, but the guy is just, he's choosing, he's found some way to just like see it all as a big joke. And so he's always, he's, he's, he's driving the guards insane because they, they're the ones who are, who have locked him up, but yet he's kind of like ridiculing them from behind the fence and, and stuff like that. So I just thought like how, that that's kind of the way to fight these people is just remind them that they are miserable and they're losers and they're we're better than them. Prepared statement. Um, uh, let's see. Um, violence is abhorrent. Black Lives Matter. You should kneel every time you hear the anthem. Jan January 6th was an organized attempt to overthrow the government by Donald Trump, <laughs> uh, Steve Bannon, and Alex Jones. Prepared statement over. Uh, and, the, and that's the, <laughs> and that's my statement. <laughs> well, I'm obvious. I I really am like very much against uh, uh, violence. Like I am, uh, like I think, you know, more so than most people. I'm against like anybody doing anything uh, besides sitting on a chair and smoking cigarettes and fucking dying. But <laughs> you know, like why would you? Why would you do anything else? You know, I, I I don't think positivity is like necessarily this great fucking thing. I think you know for uh, other philosophical reasons and what what fucking have you. Uh, but you know, like oh, I'm really positive. It's like all right, well, let's see what happens when you just drive into the Taco Bell and then you get t-boned or something. Look at how positive you'd be without legs, motherfucker. Like I'll you know, come on. I'll be positive uh, when I confront him and I'm like, hey, you hit my car. I'm taking it out on you now. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But no, I'm not into that positivity bullshit. I'm yeah. realistic about uh, life and how horrible that it is. But they invent reasons for life to be horrible. They just invent these reasons. Because yeah. like before, you know, all of like this Dave Chappelle stuff really uh, uh, happened or whatever. How often are you really hearing about they're like, oh, yeah. And then this trans person heard a joke and they died. Like, it's just it's not been a they're inventing stuff. Uh, yeah, I, so I don't know. I just think they're an apocalyptic cult. Well, I mean, there are like to do. Well, there are people who have heard jokes and died. There was the famous. Uh, there was the famous case in ancient Greece of a guy who gave wine to his donkey and then died from laughter. <laughs> that rules. I forget his name. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I'm thinking uh, that's the other problem with. I'm moving more in a. After spending a lot of time working an online job and I'm transitioning out of that to something else. I'm becoming more of a reactionary against the internet because it's so much of it is not real. And it, they're, the, the, the interactions that people have are not ones that you would ever have in real life. And that's where <clears throat> me and my buddy, Vince, Robin, other guys, we're very big about you meet people online, but you take it offline to build an actual meaningful uh, relationship that's based or friendships that are based in the real world. Whereas a lot of these younger kids, they're, are they ever going to actually hang out with the people that they play video games with? Because back when we were growing up, you, you we were playing video games as a social interaction. You were playing next to somebody else and then yelling at him for screen peeking while you're playing yeah. GoldenEye 64. And then somebody's, you know, you know, you have to go replace the batteries for the rumble packs while somebody answers the door to get the pizza. 
Like there's a, there's a con continuous social interaction going on, whereas these kids can just sit there for hours by themselves and interact through a screen. We, we didn't interact with each other through a screen. And then you had land parties and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just wondering if, if um, what, what that's going to look like, you know, what are people actually going to have? Any no, but see, that's kind of like a boomer thing to complain about uh, because one, I think you can have like meaningful uh, relationships with, with friends on the internet. Uh, you know, Matt and I have never met in person, known him for years. Great guy. Talk to him every day. Um, but like increasingly in like work situations, um, you know, even in offices and stuff, it's always like, well, we got to talk to the office in Toledo. It's been that way for years. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think for very, very little kids, you know, they shouldn't be going to school online or anything like that. But, you know, if somebody's 20 something or whatever, it's, it's not that much different because they're going to what be nerds in person or they're just going to be nerds on the internet and they still get the same damn thing really done except that you know the whole place maybe doesn't smell as fucking bad yeah yeah i'm not necessarily lamenting some of the things that have changed and it's it's not my monkey not my circus when it comes to these the the younger crowd i just i look at it from you know as a writer i want to i'm becoming one of the things i had a difficulty with is when i first started working on books is i was writing books that i wanted to read but maybe not necessarily other people wanted to read and so this is why i'm trying to understand I, I realize that they're not the only readership out there, but um, you know what? What are just being cognizant of what the the demand is as far as literature and what kind of stories and the ability to relate to someone is is part of it. This is why a lot of these new writers just uh, you know the, the the woke writers just suck because they they can't they can't empathize with anyone who's not act, who's not directly like them. They're not able to put themselves in anyone else's shoes. They can't create characters that are um, believable, and even if you don't like the, even if you don't like them, you at least understand why they are what they are. But to them, it's everything's just one dimensional. Well, it's because everything is a political message. Every single thing that they're doing is a political message, and because of the uh, ideology slash religion, what it cult, whatever you want to fucking call it, uh, that they subscribe to, it's a violation of that. If they were to write something outside of that, like even writing a villain yeah. that's like you know, says the N word or something like that. They of course can't do that. They've got to find new ways to make that guy look uh, terrible, which are the same stale. They, they just throw in a Hollywood Nazi or something like that. But you know, they, they can't write a particularly bad uh, antagonist. They can't, you know, it, because if it's, it's a political thing, like they have to live right. it. They're very devout or at least, you know, outwardly it's, seems it's, to be. It's almost like they took, I, I wrote that essay a couple of years ago for Terror House magazine about why Protestants struggle with literature. And I think it's the exact same issue for them is they, everything has to go back to their gospel that has to con explicitly contain their gospel message. It can't just be art for its own sake. It has to promote the, 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 the religion and the, the tenets of the faith in a way that there is no mistaking it. And that you see that with a lot of Protestant literature is they they aren't able to be very subtle about stuff or things can't things can't be implicit. It has to be like I remember one time there was some radio show where this guy was interviewing somebody who worked at Disney and was, you know, they were discussing whether there was religious, you know, uh, uh, undertones in some of the movies. And the guy was I think he was being quite literal when he said, well, why didn't this character say the sinner's prayer? And he's like, um, because 
they're, they're in a country where that that wasn't around at the time. Like, <laughs> what? Like, what? I, I remember I almost stopped my car. I was like, did I just hear what I actually heard? But that's for these people is you every interaction, every every art, every piece of art, every the architecture, everything has to be has to contain the message. And yeah. that's what's led to their stagnation. And this is a lesson that uh, you know, they should have been the takeaway is you got to understand how art works or else you end up writing really bad stuff uh, because you but you also have to be able to empathize with people. And I think what where a lot of these writers struggled is they just didn't want to try to understand people who don't think like them. Yeah, I want to highlight a comment here related to this from uh, the chat from uh, No Sleep Till Breezewood PA. Libs write Turner Diaries with a rainbow. Oh, that is brilliant. I love that. That is that is so true. Yeah. Right, I, I saw something like that uh, on Twitter recently from uh, Zero HP Lovecraft. He said, uh, The Handmaid's Tale is the Turner Diaries written by a woman. Naturally, <laughs> she makes it all about her. <laughs> no, that's what's funny is also, you know, even this like so-called you know extreme right literature, it's all just the same thing. They're doing, they're they're promoting explicitly their beliefs, and it was frankly the same thing with Ian uh, Rand. She only her first book was readable. The rest of them I tried reading. I'm like, you can't have a 50 page nonstop speech in a novel. Like, people love Atlas Shrugged. I'm like, no, that is not good literature. You condense that down and you cut that nonsense out. Like that was, it was a very autistic thing to do, to have a 50 page speech. And then she insisted on having uh, in the fountainhead, she said the entire speech needs to be in the movie. It was like a five minute long thing. And I, her philosophy books are readable because they're explicitly philosophical books. You may, you know, people can love or hate the philosophy, but she, I thought she, articulated what she was trying to say pretty well but the only book that i could read of hers and enjoy was we the living which was uh, about uh, something that she actually knew which was living in russia i never read that one i uh, i will say you saved yourself at the end by complimenting uh rand too she you know it's pretty good it's kind of a I, bit, I, but, yeah. I, I ran was just horny yeah. <laughs> I, 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 rem I remember her work being described ages ago as a, a containing erotic combat bordering on rape, which is pretty, uh, pretty accurate. The phrase I mean, erotic combat just sticks in my mind. Erotic combat. <laughs> well, doesn't the Fountainhead start out with basically a rape that just occurred? Well, yeah, Dagny, not Dagny Tag, I forget the Dominique, whatever her name is. Yeah. She basically tears up her own marble, uh, marble uh, fireplace just to have Howard Rourke come in um, and rape her. Basically, she creates an excuse for him to come over, and then like just you know just sets up a situation where she gets violently raped, and then she marries him at the end of it. Yeah, so it's uh, a love story. <laughs> it's an it's an Ian Rand love story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Matt told you, but uh, I'm not even sure if he knows this. But the official Terror House Radio position is fiercely libertarian, uh, bordering on ANCAP at all times, uh, unless the market goes down and I lose things. This <laughs> case, communist. This disavow. We're about total state control in all things. That is just <laughs> not true. I'm gonna fucking control your mother's pussy, dude. Like that's <laughs> welcome to Terror House Radio, everyone. Welcome to Terror House Radio, where we aggressively support PepsiCo Frito Lay bridges in all of our cities. <laughs> it would be great. 
Imagine the Taco Bell Bridge. Uh, they got tons of bridges in Chicago. Imagine them now. Baja Blast themed with big signs that says new item. Come and get the Build Your Own Cravings box. $5 through the app only. Online exclusive. Only a Taco Bell. And every just, time you drive over it, it goes, dong. It would rule. Just take it. Just take a suspension bridge and like, you know, put something over so it looks like a chalupa. Yes. I'm telling you, this would be so much better than like the, the world that we live in now if everything was just even more. The whole fucking country looked like Times Square. Just M&M stores. It would be great, man. It'd be better than Section 8 housing. Yeah. The Bringy Green brought to you by PepsiCo. Yes. Yeah. What's funny is um, I was – one of the reasons I'm interested in just trying to understand other – other generations is trying to just understand people in general. And that way it's, I'm able to incorporate that into my writing. For example, I wrote that terror house Christmas special story uh, last year, knowing that we were going to still have lockdowns this year. That was still going to go on just because I understood the type of people who were in power. And so that, which was one of my, my favorite short stories, but it, that's where studying things and understanding things allows people to write about things in a way that maintains its relevancy. I mean, how much of uh, the Pilgrim's Digress is becoming more and more, like the whole concept of a turbulent era and all that stuff, it, it seems like things are moving much towards the type of things that are being described as has in that book has happened, but now they're happening. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much, you know. Um, by the way, everyone should go buy that book. You know, the link is in the description. Um, but yeah, we're we're starting to we're starting to see the emergence of a um, of a world that's not exact uh, not exactly great. Um, we're starting to see the uh, we're starting to see the mentality of the of the characters in the Pilgrim's Digress just kind of emerge in real life. Yeah, the the, the what's also been fascinating. With it, I have a short story that's a prequel to the Pilgrim's Digress coming out, where uh, uh, in a couple days that looks at our current situation and i just started taking out words and inserting other words and it still made sense and i'm not going to spoil it because people need to read the short story when it comes out but you know one of the things that i did in pilgrim's digress was take things that are already going on now and it's just you you, you remove a word and you put another word in and it actually makes more sense than it did before because that's the the corruption of our language that's going on is they say a word but what they're actually talking about is something else. But that's how they engage in deception and deceit is because you know, when someone says we're protecting our democracy, what they really mean is something else. They don't really mean a democracy. Or when someone says we're inclusive, that, that doesn't mean we include everyone because if you don't think exactly like them, you're excluded. They're referring to something else or they say, you know, we need to, uh, we need to end white supremacy. That word, that, that concept, that term, has a specific definition that also changes continuously to fit with uh, you know whoever they don't like. But people get hung up on the actual traditional definition of these things, as opposed to looking at how these words are being used as weapons to control people. Well, it's worse than just that, man. Even on like just the day-to-day -day level, your average fucking idiot Gen Z dork zagat motherfucker um, <laughs> is saying shit like, oh, shit. 
honey, that's buff bussing and like uh oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. I still don't understand it? what bus I don't yeah. understand what that means. What does it mean? I don't know. Okay. Apparently it just means good, but I'm pretty sure that it's so it's B-U-S-S-I-N, bussin. I believe that it came from busting as in coming is the only thing I can think of, but apparently it just means good. Like, oh, I'm bussing. So it's from the same school of, uh, of vocabulary as dick appointment. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but sure. Yeah. It's a booty call, basically. Oh, oh, like, oh. It's, I didn't know. Okay. Does, does, does Zoomer? I, I didn't realize that the Zoomers actually knew what have any interaction with the opposite sex without a smartphone. So how does a booty call work? Well, I mean, listen, like it's not everywhere that's like that or everyone that's like that. There's just a huge online culture of these people are awful. But, you know, they're like talking about lockdowns and stuff. I'm in Florida. That's not the fucking case here. You know, uh, we don't we don't do that shit. And I'm in Mexico, uh, God willing, we won't again. Yeah. I'm in Mexico, same here. Yeah. So it's it's not universal. I mean, and like this, I still see kids. Uh, running around together, riding bicycles and doing all that annoying shit in the middle of the fucking road. I wish they would just go lock down, do that goddamn school on the internet. I don't give a shit about their future. But they, you know, they're riding bikes in the road or running around being teenagers and stuff, which is awful. Have you ever encountered a gang of like six teenagers? You're like, ah, oh, God, I hope I don't do anything stupid. They're all going to point and laugh at me. And, you know, it's the worst fucking thing. Like, I don't know why, but. I have, a, I have a visual now of you just a bunch of t uh, sixteen year old girls just pointing at Bryden and laughing. Oh, I was thinking, I was thinking like sixteen year old boys. They're the worst offenders, you know. Like you trip going up the stairs. It's like, hey, oh, he tripping, he tripping, <laughs> walk punch idiot. Oh, you're like, oh, damn it. Well, that's the crazy. That's exact. Like, your imitation was exactly the kind of live stream uh, guys that I see them watching. Like where everything is. Over the top, very melodramatic, very. <clears throat> they, they talk like hysterical high school girls I grew up with. <laughs> yes. These kids are awful. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that my live streams are like a stroke of fucking genius or anything that I do is, is great. It's comedy stuff. I mainly just get on to. You got to take my Trobo out of the uh, description, by the way. They banned me. I'm not allowed back oh, there. Right. They never told me why. I don't know why I'm banned. I didn't follow anybody. I never did anything. Never got a warning. They just got rid of me. So I'm if back on the D-Live. It's, it's because your audience overlap with people who were banned. Like, uh, everyone. Beardson. Yeah, like, I get, yeah, everybody. But, like, yeah, I got screwed over there, so I'm not over there anymore. But, uh, like, all I do is I, I, I go – I'll be streaming later today, I think. But I'll just go to YouTube. And I'll watch stuff, and then I'll play fart noises, and I'll go, oh, what a fucking fat, dumb idiot this person is, and then just make jokes and get drunk. So I don't think that I'm too terribly, you know, better than the average thing, but there's a little morning zoo aspect to it all. But, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't understand what these children are saying. I know that they think that they're very funny. Uh but they're not. And to a degree, I have to excuse it because like, especially if somebody's like 16 or something, they're out there dressed ridiculous or something. It's like, okay, they're 16. That's what's trendy with the kids. Um, hopefully they grow up and they don't, you know, dress like, uh, like, like, you know, a bunch of dilly fucking holes anymore, but what are you going to do? 
I hate them. I just I can't stand them. <laughs> I knew it. I hate them. I, I just fucking hate them. You know, they're just uh, teenagers are the most annoying little shits, and people 21, 22 are the most annoying little shits in the whole world. Brian uh, is Brian is basically now just a manifestation of that uh, bit from the symptoms with Grandpa Simpson about how everything new is scary and it'll happen to you. <laughs> no way, man. I'm gonna be funny forever. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I'll have to do some short stories or maybe write a book at some point from the about that generation. Cause I think there's there's some room for dark humor. Uh like that, you know, for that's gonna have to be like a, a journal style short story about some guy who's trying to go 40 days without complimenting some e-thought online. Well, you know, one of the worst things that's happened in recent years was uh, that drunk uh, Gen Z cunt who was in the car with her sister. She flips the fucking car while she's live streaming on her phone and then is like starts filming her sister's fucking dead body and shit. Oh, what? Is, yeah. You didn't hear about this. This was a few no. years ago. She went to prison, obviously. Uh, but yeah, like that's is, some of those kids are really fucked up. But the thing is, like. I don't think they're all like that. I don't think they're all that sociopathic. I just think in general, they're just kind of really stupid kids. So we got, we're going to have to wait before we get all the doom and gloom about whether or not they're really going to be competent to, you know, have like construction work or something like that. But uh, there's no way they're all like that. Right. I mean, they can't be, there's no way I don't want to talk to them, but there's no way. Right. Well, I'm hoping. Well, I'm hoping in 20 years we won't have a situation where plumbing is falling apart because no I'm hoping in fucking 20 years I'm dead. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where the the world of Ready Player One is probably going to be the most likely future for the young people, where they're living in trash heap cities with very little. The, like their internet's going to be high speed for some reason, and they're going to be able to do virtual reality. Uh, levels that we didn't think imaginable, but that's about it. That's their that's their compensation for you know not being able. To, they get their their supply or their ration of of you know maggoty meat every month because meat is a treat, guys. So that's what it's going to be like. They don't they they don't get to taste or have a pizza except maybe once a month, but they can stream for hours endlessly on on some whatever game they're going to be playing then, or they can just sit there and watch someone else play the video game. Cause apparently that's the thing now. Listen, I, I are all streaming in uh habitation block 55. <laughs> <laughs> I, besides the maggoty meat, I don't see what well, I never watched ready player one. Apparently it was just a big advertisement for a bunch of stuff, but it did look cool. Um, I'm never going to fucking watch it, but I, I don't see what would be the big deal if they do manage to actually give these people a fucking life by hooking them up to the damn matrix. Well, you know, fine. How's it any different? I mean, it, like that whole thing, like, Oh, but they'll never touch grass or whatever. It's like, yeah, but what's so fucking great about grass? Like, as long as they're happy, I mean, who gives a shit, dude? Like, that's why it like brave new world. When they gave them all the Soma and shit, I'm like, well, there's fucking happy. Besides that uptight dickhead, Bernard Marks. Besides him, those people were fucking happy. So what's the big deal? The thing is, the government doesn't do that for anybody. They just go, we're going to need you. To, we're all going to need to make some sacrifices. Not us, but you will. And uh, you're not going to be able to drive your car and you're not going to this and that and the other. They're not offering them the, the, the infinite drugs and the, you know, 
that was a big 90s talking point. Like, all these kids are drugged up. It's like, not on the fun shit. Give them Xanax. Give everybody fucking Xanax. I wouldn't be Xanax is not fun. Xanax is a load of fun? What are you talking about? No, it's not. It makes you sleepy. Dude, then you took too much. You take just... It does make you pretty sleepy. You take enough to be like, I'm good. And you can't drink on it because you will black out. But Xanax rules. No, no, no. The fun drug is something like crystal meth. No, no, dude. That's the, you get delirious and weird and then sick. It's not good. Like you just awake for too long. That's awesome. Nah. nah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Nah, I don't want to be awake. Right, right now, for instance, I'd rather not be awake. But can't sleep. I already slept. They only let you, your body only lets you sleep so much. <laughs> you know. Oppression. That's the new oppression, right? I got I got I got I got to highlight another comment from the chat from No Sleep Till Breeze with PA. Demand a better dystopia. State mandated heroin. Yes. Well, I mean, they're forcing everybody in my state to take, you know, they're, they're trying to get everyone to take the jab. And now they have safe heroin injection sites. Just, self-identify as a homeless person you get you'll get all the free heroin that you want wait do they they don't seriously give you free heroin they just you have to bring your heroin there right oh that's well you know I, I, that's the next step man that's the next step you know that heroin may be bad we're gonna give you clean heroin <laughs> that sounds great i'm just saying if we're gonna have a government can it do something good the only thing i've asked and there, where's my fucking phone the only thing i've asked Besides lie to me better, because the government doesn't do that. The media doesn't do that. I wanted them to lie to me better. Don't give me these half-bit lies. Give me actual believable lies. They never do. But also, the, the big thing, all the Biden administration has to do for me to go, you know what? This this is, Despite everything, this is a success. Stop the goddamn spam calls, the eight a day that every person gets. That should be a bipartisan thing. They should be able to get done somehow. Don't know how is that, to do it. Stop is that, that. Really a, is that really a big issue now? Yeah, yeah. huge. I'm constantly getting spam calls. Uh, it's like all the time. All the time. Every day. All the time. Several a day. Every person's dealing with this shit. Sorry, TJ. You, you, I, I complained about this before. TJ, you tell it. Because he doesn't believe me. No, I'm, I, I, I got a call at 640 this morning from a a likely spammer. Um, so a lot of spam calls and I don't even bother blocking the numbers anymore because they keep using it, it from, I don't know how they do it, but they just keep coming up with new numbers. They're so they're like numbers. Someone, someone if who's call them, If you call them back, that's somebody else's number. So it, never pick these up because if you pick them up and nobody is on the other line, they know that's an active line. So they'll use that to sell to some other place that wants to spam you, or they know they can spoof that number. I don't know how it works exactly. But yeah, if you call them back a lot of the time, that's an actual person's number. Like they're using your, people have called yeah. using your phone number. Right, that's, that's what's crazy. Cause I've, I've looked up like, who is this person? And then I realize it's some ordinary so, somebody in the same zip code or, or uh, cell phone service area, but uh, I'm pretty sure they weren't calling me to talk to me about my my uh, not, <laughs> non-existent student loans. Yeah, or me your Medicare well, back braces. I mean, uh, I, the, the extent of your car warranty. Yeah. I mean, the joke going right now is that the Bi uh, Biden is just speed running the Bush administration. I guess it's appropriate that we also have spam calls again. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've we've gone back to where it, my, my gut tells me that there was a trajectory that this country was going to go on and Trump 
made a small like turn off the highway onto a side road for a little bit. It, it's still moving in the same direction as that road, but we took we took a small side, you know, we took a little bit of driving the countryside and that was enough to freak them all out. So now we're back on the highway, but this is where it was always supposed to go. And this is why you see guys like uh, W who back when we were growing up, he was the most hated, he was a fascist, he was a Nazi, and now he's a total uh, shrill for the globalists. And he's, you know, dumping all these people under the bus on 9-11 saying, oh, well, the terrorists are the same as those people on January 6th and all that kind of stuff. Like they were all, it was all, it wasn't, it was all a game to, as to who was going to be driving the car in terms of running the country, but it was going to be going down the same road at, at the same speed it, to the same de destination, which is where we are today. Yeah, we're, 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 we're in, I don't want to say hell world because that's an annoying overused chapo, chapo meme, but it's basically that. Um, we've 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 recircled back to the to the early odds, except things are just shittier, uh, shittier and lamer. Everything yeah. everything's dumb. Everyone's poor. The world sucks. Everyone's hypersensitive. Um, oh yeah, and uh, the airport mentality, TSA mentality, has been brought to every stage of public life. Yes. Yes. Well, you know what's funny? I got on. Uh, I was getting on a plane. I just flew back um, from California, and when I was going through the TSA at the Sacramento airport, they just started waving people through. They they look at your driver's license. They didn't even bother looking at my um, boarding pass. And then when we were going through security, they're like, "Leave your shoes on." I think that uh, now TSA has been around for a lot longer, but I, I just wonder if at some point, it just people are going to get exhausted doing this everywhere. I mean, in King County, uh, which is the, the county that Seattle Metro's in, they now have vaccine passports. If you want to go to a Starbucks, you have to show your papers. And how frustrated are all these people? And people, you know, some retard on Twitter was like, oh, well, you know, 84% of them are vaccinated, so it's not a problem. It's a problem when you forget your papers and then you can't go get coffee. That's like having to have your driver's license to do anything or an ID to do anything. It's it means that you are profoundly inconvenienced if you lose it. In, in, in their defense, just because I am a voter ID guy, uh, you do need your, your license to do a lot of stuff. And, you know, I'm a pretty, pretty big advocate of uh, got your keys, cell phone, and wallet. But none of that shit is medical. And it's my concern. Okay, if you have to have this specific medical thing, well, how do you know I don't have fucking leprosy? Huh? Like, what? We got to make sure I don't have fucking, you know, that or like AIDS or a cold for that matter. Nobody likes AIDS. AIDS. Isn't it? Isn't it ironic that you know during the AIDS epidemic, you know, people who were dying of a completely avoidable disease were being celebrated as these martyrs, and we need to spend millions of dollars to figure out how to cure something that people can avoid just by not screwing each other in deviant ways. And then there, that's all good and beautiful. But I mean, if somebody pays someone else to go cough in their face, you know, a thousand men to cough in their face and they die from COVID, are we going to throw them a parade? Are we going to have a COVID uh, awareness concert where some guy who intentionally got COVID is going to be seen as some sort of hero? If I mean, that was happening, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, you know what? That is another short story. <laughs> Dennis, Prager, Dennis Prager said he intentionally caught COVID. <laughs> I, I that's what i i so infuriating because i back when i was a, in high school i was having a debate with uh another uh journalism a news high school newspaper 
um, student. Boo. And, even no, boo. Even uh, the, that's that's two things: high schooler and journalist. We got to end all high school newspapers in this country. There's <laughs> nothing good going on there. I guarantee it. Yeah. The, the because there was this issue we were I was learning about CPR and one of the things that they were doing at that point saying you need to be conscientious about if you don't know who the person is and you don't know their medical condition they could have a uh, a disease that's transferable through blood contact so you had to be very careful about all that kind of stuff and I said well if you're working with someone shouldn't and they have HIV or AIDS shouldn't you be notified in case they have some sort of medical thing where you got to do CPR and that's something to good to know because you come in contact with it. And she was like, well, no, that'll lead to discrimination. It's nobody's business. Their medical history is no one's business. And here we are now. And I'm willing to bet, I would bet my life savings that that girl is a totally uh, full blown branch Covidian. Well, there's no consistency to it because again, like how they're, they're run by fear is there's there's not there doesn't need to be any consistency to like what what they're saying um they it's it's all fear-based and that's why when it comes to the thing that stuck with me here that that bothers me that hopefully you'll change your damn mind on is that they are demoralizing their their side i don't think that they are i i i, I can't imagine these people one they're fucking stupid and inconsistent. I don't think that they're going to look at it that way because they're going to look at it like this is what's on the news and this is what they say to do. And then this is what Rachel Maddow says is good. This is what uh, Chapa Trap House says is good or something like that. They it's it's not a they don't they're not critical thinking people. Not that I'm a genius. I'm a fucking alcoholic who just calls shit gay on the Internet all the time. OK, so I'm not genius, but I know that <clears throat> probably let's not open these doors to. Oh, we should need to know your medical history. Oh, this. I mean, if you were, if you have uh, hepatitis, you're going to be hard pressed to find a uh, or HIV. You're going to be hard pressed to find a job in like the service industry with where you're dealing with with food. Uh, how transmittable, you know, getting HIV blood on your salad is. I don't really know. It doesn't seem like it's that. But nobody wants blood on their salad. But that was a thing I remember when I when I worked in restaurants. Well, upon getting my food handler's permit in Washington State, one of the things was it was like if you got hepatitis, you, you're just you're screwed. You know, they didn't say anything about HIV, but they said like no, if you got hepatitis C, you're not going to work here. Yeah, so I, I don't hey, know, but they don't have a... to. They don't have to be consistent, man. Well, I will, what will also be interesting is if <clears throat> with this this whole vaccine thing. I mean, my state is um, we, it is a it is genuinely a dystopian uh government it is a full-on the theocracy in terms of how they're implementing this stuff and also a lot of people are just completely bought into the the the, boot, the greatest of the bootlickers are here these are the people i was reading one business owner was commenting on some form i was on he said i'm constantly having um people snitch on me like people will people will spend their days going to businesses just to see if any of them are violating any of the rules and they're reporting them to the department of health why does that why would that be surprising given that like how many you know the the bake the cake uh case how many how many different places did they go it was like nine until they finally found someone who was like no nah. well, what was funny about that story i don't know if i fully remember it accurately but according to what i understand the guy who actually was turned down was okay with it because it was a friend of it was a friend of his that's why he went to her 
his gay partner is the one who, you know, had a tissy fit, posted something on Facebook, and our state attorney general saw it, the post, and then sued the old lady. Yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. Like the guy's like, oh, you know, I understand why you don't want to do this, and then his his uh, his significant his insignificant other. <laughs> I just I just think it's hilarious that like uh, gay dudes have nagging wives too. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, it's well, it's yeah. Um, I, it just amazes me that that people are. I don't want to say amazes me. But I, I've lived here my whole life, but what's what's funny is the lack of self awareness. These are the same people who were talking about how Trump was going to lock up gay people in concentration camps and be an authoritarian dictator. And then they turn around and are doing all that, that stuff. And then they just come up with excuses for why they're doing it. Oh, we're doing this because we care. We're all in this together. We're trying to help. We're trying to stop. It's just like. The, o- the only thing, the only yeah. thing comparable to that, that you really see on, on, uh, you know, the, the other side of things, which is like the Republican side, which they, they can bring up. They'd be like, Oh, so Republicans don't care about the deficit anymore. I'm like, not any of the Trump ones, not, not any of the Trump people like those. The were deficit just, isn't real. Well, it fucking is. And we've been over this, Matt. I'm not fucking having a conversation <laughs> with you again right now about how money's fucking real. So it's too, it's too close okay. to the end here for me to teach you about fucking economics again. And <laughs> fucking dick of shit. That still pisses me off. <laughs> fucking moron. Like, I'm just good grief. But <clears throat> no, I mean, you're a fucking dickhead. But. You know, that's that's uh, any of the people that came in, you know, to the, the what I think is the rational side are typically not your normal Republicans, because I don't really consider those people Republican. Uh, I'm registered Republican, but I wouldn't call myself a Republican unless it's just a simple thing. That's really the only ba- like, oh, you're not living up to your own rules type of thing that I think could be kind of comparable. But there's a perfectly valid excuse for that, which is. These aren't Republicans. These are Trump people. You know, I people don't describe themselves as a Republican anymore. They go, I'm a Trump person. What are you still? You still what'd you find a fucking Eminem on your desk, Matt? What are you giggling for? <laughs> Matt, Matt, look. Skittles. Ooh, giggle, giggle. Oh, giggle, giggle, Matt. Oh, the airplane. You're, oh, you're the towers. Oh. Skittles, man. He's making it worse. Uh, my camera's all fucked up. It's got to focus. It's not doing it. God damn it. It's like a zoomer, right? Can't focus. <laughs> damn kids. <laughs> No, I, I don't care. The more wrinkles that yeah, these are these are not age wrinkles. These are not crow's feet. These are not laugh lines. These are every time I meet a Gen Z person, I get another wrinkle in my skin. These are just lines of 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 determined hatred for all of fucking any twenty year old on the planet. Dumb little piece of shit. I swear to God. Matt, too. Matt's a spiritual fucking Gen Z piece of shit. Oh, really? 
Yeah, he's like, money's not real, and <laughs> never told a joke in his life. It's fucking horrible. Money's never. a social construct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I didn't. I didn't say that, Bryden. I can look into your dumb fucking <laughs> eyes. Like <laughs> your eyes are like a, a a snow globe of just like that says quality in them, and like <laughs> just some type of. Fucking Fauci eyed idiot. <laughs> fucking Janet Yellen idiot. Fucking Jerome Powell motherfucker over there. You just making shit up in your stupid head. You don't know anything about anything. You just stick to history and writing books so you don't ever talk about money again. Speaking of money, um, probably should wind on the show because A, it's been a couple of hours, and B, I actually have to go to work. So. Uh, TJ, any anything else you'd like to like to add? Um, I think we pretty much covered the bases as far as uh, hating on Zoomers. Um, but <clears throat> people obviously pick up the Legend of Frenia. If you haven't read in my other books, um, there's Pilgrim's Digress that you can get at TerrorHousePress.com, and then my other books will be available on my website. That links to it, TJMartinell.com. Yep, you can go. You can go check that out. Uh, Legend of Ferenia is coming uh, this Friday. Um, we'll have pre-orders available very, very soon. Um, and you can also pick up the Pilgrim's Progress from us, like uh, like TJ said, and check out all his other books as well. They're they're fantastic. Uh, Brian, anything else you want to add slash plug or, or anything? Mm, no. Uh, I mean, I'll be streaming and probably like at five p.m. today. So if you're listening to this now. Or if you're in your car listening to it uh, and it's already happened, well, then you missed it. Uh, but stlive.tv slash Bryden, world's only comic on uh, on Twitter. And, the straight facts. The and straight facts. All of that. All of that. And it's the only thing about Bryden that's straight. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, yeah. That pretty, Do you that actually pretty... have legs or have they just like folded up into you under... <laughs> You penguin-bodied, fucking bald piece of fucking shit. You know your your goatee's growing in more uh, menacingly. Um, so, yeah, there you go. What is that? What is it? What, was that what you do to dudes' balls? What is that? Uh, that's me pulling your strings. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll bet. Call you back like to the last show if you didn't watch it with Paul Town and Birdie. I'll bet you'd like to fucking pull on me, you <laughs> fucking faggot. Okay, yeah, but that that pretty I, I guess that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh and now and now and now and now Matt, after insulting people, is gonna do his his cool guy spiel, everybody. His cool guy spiel, and it ends with Latin. That way you know he's fucking smart because it ends with illegitimate art camaradum. Don't let the bastard drag you down. I'm at 40 with Brian Proctor, and we are out like Seacrest. Fucking loser. God, I'm so glad you're in Mexico. That way I can't just fucking drive over there and just kill you. You're not worth the gas money. <laughs> TJ, you're all right. Thanks, Brian. That means a lot. <laughs> yeah, check out check out my website at mattforney.com. That'll do it for this. That'll do it for this episode of the show. Um, check out Terrorhouse Magazine and Terrorhouse Press every day. Terrorhousemag.com, terrorhousepress.com. 
Social media links in the description. Every episode of the show can be found at terrorhouseradio.com. Terror House Radio is produced by Brian Proctor and presented by Katya Day. Still hasn't even fucking updated it. <laughs> Intro music by Zero Pulse. Illegitimate hardcore random. Don't the bastards grind you down. <laughs> I'm Matt Forney with Brian Proctor. And I'm Ryan Seacrest, and we are out. <laughs> Money isn't real. You're an idiot.